everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Closet and Pocket Podcast, where I cover everything you can wear on you and carry with you. My name is David, and I want to thank you so much for joining me here on the second episode of the season. Now, before we get into the main topic of the show, I do just want to get a couple of promotional notes out of the way. So the first note is that I've actually written a book, and it is related to this podcast because uh, it is related to the topic of starting a podcast. Very meta, I know. Uh, but specifically, it's about starting a podcast for very little money. Uh, the book is an ebook available through Amazon, so it's very, very easy to get your hands on. Uh, and it's called How to Start a Podcast for Less Than $30, Including the Cost of This Book. I'll go ahead and post the link to that in the show notes, and uh, would love for you to check it out and provide your feedback if you do get around to reading it. Now, the second uh, promotional note is uh, promotional in the sense that I may get a contribution if you do indeed sign up, but uh, I'm not officially sponsored in any way. Uh, But I do want to bring up Fiverr. So Fiverr has been a huge productivity tool for me in the sense that it allows me to focus on the things I do well on any given project and then outsource the rest. Uh, My contact Brian through Fiverr is a huge part of putting the show together. He does all the edits for me. And it really takes uh, a lot of the what I would consider to be a burden uh, off of my shoulders in terms of doing the show because I can just basically put the show together and hand it off and know I'm going to get great work in return. So if you feel like you're getting stuck in a lot of your projects, uh, definitely check out Fiverr and see if you can offload some of the stuff that uh, you think is causing roadblocks for you. I'll post the link to that. And the final note is about a service called TransferWise. Now, TransferWise not, may not be applicable to everyone, uh, but if it's of use to you, I promise you it's going to be a huge life changer. Uh, long story short, it allows you to make the process of moving currencies very, very simple. So if you were to go through a traditional bank, uh, it would take a lot of time. You would be charged several points over the interest rate. There'd be high fees. Uh, TransferWise does away with all of that. I won't get into too many of the details, but uh, just know that I had to move quite a large amount of money a couple years back for an overseas project. And even today, I like keeping foreign currency. TransferWise allows me to do that. Uh, I'll post a link to that in the show notes. And again, maybe not applicable to everyone, but uh, if it's something that um, is helpful for you, I guarantee you it's going to be very helpful. Like This is definitely a revolutionary thing in your life uh, if having multiple currencies is something that's of value to you. Okay, so thank you all very much for listening to those promotional notes. And now let's get into the topic of today's show, which will cover a few of the pickups I've got in the new year, as well as some things that are definitely on my radar. I use this pickup format a lot in the first season of the show. And for those who aren't familiar with it, basically I'm just talking about the rationale behind a purchase and my thoughts since using it. This is different from a review, since I'm not interested in going into any one item in great detail. After all, there are plenty of other places you can get that information from. Rather, I'm more interested in using these items as a jumping off point to talk about my thoughts on the product category overall, uh, as well as how the item uh, or the category fits into my current philosophy on clothing and equipping myself. I should note before I get started that I do post links to the products in the show notes, and some of those may provide me with a contribution if you buy the product from that link. However, and I have to stress this, uh, none of these brands have paid me to be featured here, and I bought everything with my own money. So you can be sure that what I talk about is uninfluenced, and it's well-researched, and uh, it allows you to jump straight to the good stuff, or at least you know what my view of the good stuff is. Having said that, uh, on today's show, I've got a nice selection of EDC watch and clothing discussion lined up for you, and I thought I'd start the EDC and watch coverage specifically by looking back at episode 9 from season 1. 
In that episode, I mentioned I had three Swiss Army knives on my radar as well as a Longines watch. Now in that time, I've had uh, the opportunity to acquire some of those items and think about others. And those are the ones I wanna cover. A little bit of a spoiler alert, not everything was equally satisfactory. But enough with the generalities, let's uh, get into some of the details and look at the three Swiss Army knives that I wanted. In episode nine, I talked about acquiring a Jet Setter, an Alox Pioneer X, and a Mini Champ. And it's funny how that order worked out uh, because in fact, uh, that is ranked in the ascending order of utility that those, tool, those tools have taken in my daily life. So I've acquired all three of them. Uh, they have not all been equally useful, unfortunately. So let's talk about the Jet Setter first. The Jet Setter basically just sits in my pencil case, uh, which in turn sits in my briefcase. I acquired it because I wanted something that I could just throw into my bags and forget about in terms of when traveling. I didn't want to worry about, am I gonna get something confiscated when I travel. And granted, I haven't traveled since getting this a few months back, and perhaps that's why I haven't really appreciated it. Perhaps I would have gotten more enjoyment out of it knowing that, yeah, I just went through the TSA, TSA line and uh, didn't have to worry about it. Unfortunately, uh, in its current state, where it's just sitting in my pencil case, which is sitting in my bag, um, I don't really get much out of much use out of it. I mean, there's always another tool that's got more capability that I've got either on my pocket or more closely at hand. So my short assessment here is that uh, if you are not traveling frequently, this might be a pass for you. I also unfortunately haven't gotten much use from the Pioneer X, but as far as whether or not you should get one, uh, the answer has to be a resounding yes, simply just because of how gorgeous this thing is. Uh, I've said before that a Victorinox knife is perhaps the clearest example of affordable luxury that there is. And this knife might actually be the ultimate showpiece for that. Uh, I mean, again, I, I'm not trying to go into the details of this, but I just cannot stress enough about uh, how gorgeous this thing is. It's built like a Swiss bank vault, uh, and it does have a good amount of tools, but I don't really think that this is the kind of point uh, of it. And I think, unfortunately, it really sits in this kind of weird spot where it is extremely beautiful, uh, but some of the tools on there just aren't that useful for me. And I don't find myself in situations where the tools that are there are really useful. So it's, yeah, it's just a weird thing. Like, and it ends up to where I just like carrying it around because it's so good looking. In fact, I would say that when I need something nice in my Instagram picture, I reach for the Alox. Uh, but for utility, I reach for the Mini Champ. So this is transitioning me to the third and final Swiss Army knife I talked about in that show. But Oh, come on. I mean, the mini champ is perhaps the most useful thing I have ever carried. And I have to be a little bit careful here. Uh, let's exclude the iPhone, but I mean, the mini champ is just phenomenal. I, I cannot recommend this thing highly enough. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes because I believe that everyone should have one of these on them. And for $35 thereabouts, uh, 45 if you want the Alox version, everyone can. The, the cost per use on this will be pennies, because you will use it every single day. Uh, I just really, again, I don't wanna get into the details of this, but it is a hugely useful tool. And I think that if anyone wants something that's amazingly high quality, super useful, uh, very, very affordable, I think they could do a lot worse than turning towards the mini champ. So this is highly recommended. And uh, of the three Swiss Army knives I had on my radar, uh, I would say that it by far packs the most punch. Turning to watches now, I still haven't bought the Longines Master Moon Phase that I mentioned in episode nine of season one. 
It's not that I don't think it looks phenomenal. It's just that I have had a hard time imagining wearing it enough to, um, to drive the cost per wear down enough. See, that's the challenge anyone with a growing watch collection faces, or a, a collection of anything, really. Now, that is to say, wearing the watches enough to enjoy them, rather than just owning them for the sake of owning them, uh, which can get expensive because at that point, you're really just tying up cash. And I think uh, a great sort of resource on this, I'll link to it in the show notes, but um, Stephen Pulverance over at Hodinkee, uh, they did an episode around New Year's resolutions related to watches, and he said he wanted to focus more on the why. So like, why am I buying this as opposed to, yeah, I just need this because it's really nice. I mean, really focusing on the why. And I think that is what I've had trouble with the Longines getting straight in my mind is that, yeah, it's beautiful. I just don't wear a lot of dress watches. I'm much more uh, tied up to sports watches. And so buying the Longines, uh, it might be a great feeling for the day or so after I've got it, but then afterwards, you know, what does it really mean in my life? Like, what's the why? And so this gets me to uh, the watches that I really think I want. I would much rather put my money here. Uh, and so recently Seiko has announced uh, the King Turtle models, which, up, which upgrade the existing turtle with a sapphire crystal and a ceramic bezel. Uh, I have a patty turtle and I love it. I completely love it. Um, my wife gets me for Christmas. It's been with me on a lot of uh, kind of meaningful parts of my life, my wedding included. I always thought though that it was missing the ceramic bezel, at least. The, the sapphire crystal I wasn't so worried about, but the ceramic bezel for sure I felt was missing. But I am also a huge stickler for originality and so, I just sort of learned to live with it and some of the shortcomings that I thought the watch had. Uh, but these Seiko King, Tur King Turtle models definitely tick the boxes. And so rather than my Longines, um, I think I would much rather have, you know, not one, but uh, two colors of the, the King Turtle. So I'm talking specifically about uh, the khaki green model, which looks great, uh, or I should just say military green, I suppose. Uh, olive drab, let's go with that. Uh, olive drab green as well as the Save the Ocean model, and uh, specifically the JDM versions. Whenever I get a Seiko watch, I'm always looking to get the uh, made-for-the-Japanese-market version. And uh, so those would be the two models I'm looking at, the JDM, uh, Olive Drab Green, and Save, the, and Save the Ocean models. And the upside to this is really twofold, is that uh, for sure I could see myself wearing both of them a ton. I mean, that's been the case for the, the patty version of the regular turtle I've had, but also just getting a lot of money left in my pocket. So whereas you look at, um, you could probably pick up the Longines for let's call it $1,750 if you get it gray market. Uh, for the two turtles, you're looking at maybe twelve dollars to $1,300 on the high side getting them both. And so you're still left with a substantial amount of uh, money in your pocket. So I will keep everyone posted. If I get one or both of these, I'm thinking very soon I'll at least go for the olive drab green. So that one might show up in a future episode, but certainly I would say that on my radar, very, very closely as perhaps my next uh, two watch purchases in succession would be the, uh, the olive drab green Seiko King Turtle as well as the Save the Ocean King Turtle. The last two items I want to talk about are uh, things that I was very lucky to receive from my wife for Christmas. You know, they always say the best gifts are the ones that you wouldn't buy for yourself. And uh, these definitely fall into that category, likely because uh, they're quite big ticket items, I should say. And also they fall very squarely in the nice to have category. So I just never got around to buying them. And that's what made uh, receiving them for Christmas so special. 
That aside though, uh, enough with keeping you in suspense. I'll just go ahead and tell you that the last two items I'll discuss on the show for today are a Montblanc Meisterstube 146 and a Korchmar Twain travel bag uh, in dark brown. Let's just go ahead and talk about the Montblanc first. So uh, the fountain pen community, as you might expect from any hobby uh, in these late days of the internet, is absolutely vast, completely vast. And around the middle of last year, uh, what started as me just saying, okay, yeah, I'll watch a YouTube video uh, on the subject, pretty quickly led to me um, starting to tumble headfirst down and very quickly into this particular rabbit hole, so online, or fountain pens. Thankfully, uh, I had my extensive experience with watches to fall, to fall back on and help me navigate through this journey. And really that helped me narrow down very quickly what my guiding principles were going to be. So let's just kind of go through them. Uh, you know, the pens that most people know from Montblanc are very good, certainly, but there are probably other really great options um, that are less known, but just as good, if not better, and they therefore present a very attractive cost-benefit ratio. I mean, this is um, essentially my experiences with, uh, with Rolex. And indeed, uh, by branching out since starting with Rolex, I've acquired some great under-the-radar watches for a fraction of what the crown's equivalents would have cost me. So in essence, with pens, I started in reverse, uh, picking up not a Montblanc as my first good fountain pen, but rather getting some really beautiful writing instruments from the likes of Waterman, Diplomat, and Caveco. You know, at that point, so let's go ahead and call it the last quarter of 2019, uh, I did have a few realizations. Uh, first is that because the fountain pen rabbit hole was so deep, I was quickly seeing my list of desired acquisitions grow. Second, uh, I mean, this was going to become very frustrating because as much as I was really enjoying getting into uh, this new hobby and this new world of fountain pens, the truth is that I also had other hobbies. And I was... Um, finding that this interest I was having in fountain pens was taking away from other things that I really like, perhaps even a little bit more. So menswear, watches, that type of thing. And so ultimately, something was going to have to give, and I had a feeling that was going to be fountain pens. Now, this was reinforced by a concentrated effort on my part to buy things only if I could realistically see myself using them. So that's to say that I have no problem buying many examples of something on principle. So, I mean, it doesn't bother me that I have 20 watches, for instance, right? It's just that I have to use those 20 watches at some point, and certainly enough uh, to justify using them. So the kind of the, the associated saying to the fact that I have no problem buying multiples is that I have no problem uh, using them, right? It's not the number that matters, it's just the usage from them. And so with watches, it's very easy to take them on and off. I mean, that's where the 20 watches comes into play. It's relatively easy to swap out, you know, two or even three of them in a day. But with pens, it's much tougher. The switching costs are much higher. I mean, you have to clean them. You have to maintain them. And it just seemed after I reached, you know, five pens or so, uh, that it would get to be a huge hassle to try and maintain anything beyond that. So also what was happening was that during this process of discovery, I finally got around to taking in a Montblanc fountain pen, uh, a Meisterstück that I, I'd inherited from my father um, a couple years back. So I had to take it in for repairs. It was clear that it needed cleaning. Uh, I didn't just want to put ink in it. And so finally, because of this interest in fountain pens, I went ahead and took it in. 
Now this pen was in the smallest uh, 144 configuration with a medium nib. Also, it was in the now discontinued uh, maroon and yellow gold trim, which happens to be my favorite look, uh, which I find far more interesting than standard black. It's, it's very, very uh, frustrating to me that this maroon option doesn't exist beyond eBay because I do find it very attractive and in some ways I would say more versatile than the black. So I was very happy not only to have it fixed because of the sentimental value, but also just because I found it very attractive. So once it was fixed, uh, I bought a Mont Blanc journal as well and began enjoying even more my uh, morning ritual of journaling. You know, of course, using my dad's pen was great, but I really began to appreciate why Mont Blanc pens are so popular. You know, for one, the looks are absolutely classic, and there's a reason that so many other pens look like a Meisterstück. Also, it really did write uh, very, very nicely. The combination of the Mont Blanc pen and the notebook elevated a habit I have every morning uh, from simply an enjoyable ritual to really uh, a true luxury experience. And on that point, I really began to feel uh, the mystique of the whole Mont Blanc brand um, in kind of the same way, or really much the same way I think people feel uh, when they put a Rolex uh, on their wrist. You know, I, it's not to, I, I usually don't go for branding too much. I'm relatively brand agnostic and I think I'm savvy enough now at least I like to think anyways, that I'm not too swayed by marketing, but using this pen really reinforced the, the Mont Blanc image. And you know, Mont Blanc cultivates this image of belonging to a successful, to a successful club. I mean, when you see an executive, uh, distinguished looking executive in a suit, uh, the image I have along with that is that they're taking notes or writing something important down with a Mont Blanc pen. And certainly seeing my, my father use his pens uh, definitely reinforced that image in me, the one that Mont Blanc cultivates. And so using a Mont Blanc fountain, fountain pen to write in a Mont Blanc journal helped me feel as if I were writing things that, that mattered and that I also was successful by association with a little bit of a wrinkle. You see, this was, quote unquote, only a pen I inherited, right? And so in order for me to feel successful with this Mont Blanc pen, I wanted to also own my, my own Mont Blanc fountain pen. So having this uh, fountain pen of my father's made me want a Mont Blanc of my very own. And that got me thinking, okay, now that I can choose what I'm looking for, you know, what would I do different than the one that my father has? Well, the big, big thing is the size. So the 144 is the smallest configuration. It really does feel like a pen. Um, I was looking for something a bit bigger, and it turned out that my father also had a 149, which I inherited. That was far too big. And so I had this thought, that uh, the 146 would just be the, the, the Goldilocks option. We'll call it that. Um, and it turned out that uh, Joma Shop has a fantastic selection of Mont Blanc products and that they had uh, a black 146 with a platinum silver trim with uh, a medium nib. So this was kind of like, I guess you could call it the ideal case. I mean, would I have prefer preferred a maroon version? Absolutely. But uh, I didn't want to deal with eBay for this. And honestly, uh, the configuration I have, which is again, the, the black precious resin and the silver trim, I think if I'm just being honest with myself, it's about as classic as it comes. And so in the end, I said, you know, I'm getting a new, uh, new fountain pen. I think this is gonna make for uh, a great option. And indeed, I've been using this since Christmas to write in my journal and I absolutely love it. 
Uh, in addition to the pen, I was given a Mont Blanc uh, protective pouch, so just kind of a, a zippered sleeve to put the pen in when I'm not using it. And this only elevates the ritual even further. I mean, it truly is something that I look forward to doing every single morning. Um, you know, putting the journal down, unzipping the pouch, taking the pen out, unscrewing the cap. It's just a really, really enjoyable ritual. And it's to the point where I can easily see myself doing the same thing with the same pen uh, for the rest of my life. It, and it's ironic because this is what I aspire to get to with watches. I, I, I think everyone in the watch community dreams about being a one watch person and they never get there. There's always a watch to buy. Uh, but with the pens, it seems like I might, I might in fact be there. And I don't know if I settled this particular fountain pen because it really is that good uh, or just because I don't have the funds to buy dozens of pens in addition to, in addition to all of the other uh, stuff that I want. But at the same time, like it just, it really, really is a, a great pen. And there's definitely something comforting about knowing that, okay, I've got a small selection of pens I can go to if I ever want to change. But like that this pen is good enough and beautiful enough and distinguished enough that it might be the one I have for the rest of my life. It's really kind of a neat feeling. And, uh, and it just goes to show that even though a lot of people, you know, want to turn their backs from the established standard, right? People will say, ah, you know, Rolex is so boring. Why can't you get something else? And I think there's truth to that. But if you're just a person that wants one thing uh, in a particular object, right? So car, watch, Mont Blanc, I mean, you could, or a fountain pen, sorry. You can do a lot worse than saying, I want one of each. So I'm gonna take a Porsche 911, a Rolex Datejust, and a Mont Blanc uh, Meisterstück. I mean, they're seen as the reference for a reason. So to close this section out, uh, I will say that if you don't write much, do make an effort to try and do so. It's therapeutic and there really is something about writing with nice tools or, or nice writing instruments, as Mont Blanc would say, that makes the process so much more enjoyable uh, than banging words out on a keyboard. And I would say that if you do decide to do this and you want to explore just journaling or just writing more of your thoughts down in general, uh, I would say that if you want to avoid tumbling down a rabbit hole, as I nearly did, uh, just shop to the standard bearer and check out the Meisterstück and its accessories. I, I don't think you'll be disappointed, and I think you'll be very quickly uh, finding yourself feeling the same way I do, which is that I'm not just writing things down. Uh, I'm making a record of things that are important. All right, so closing out the show, I will do my best to keep this section on the new overnight bag I received as brief as possible because my journey to attaining such a bag has been a long one, honestly, perhaps uh, years in the making. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the bag I'm now the proud owner of is the Corch Twain in dark brown. But to get back to where it all started, you have to go back about 10 years. Like I said, this has been a long journey. So 10 years ago was right about when I was first getting into menswear and I treated myself to the Saddleback leather um, side pocket leather duffel to accompany the thin classic briefcase that I'd also bought myself a few months prior. So I would say that was not only uh, the first overnight or the first nice bag I'd bought, but really the first overnight bag I'd had. So I went from zero to uh, 60 miles an hour almost overnight by getting this, uh, this very highly regarded um, leather bag. So I'll link to these in the show notes, um, but full disclosure, Though I do still own some, some Saddleback leather stuff, I ended up selling those bags for the following reasons. So of course, if you want to buy them uh, through the link in the show, 
please do that. But I also want to be upfront with you that I did sell both of these bags. And, uh, and I'm going to talk specifically about why I sold the duffel. So any Saddleback leather product is amazingly well-made and tough, but I will say that some of their products, uh, those included, do give off a very strong, I'll say, Indiana Jones vibe. And while that was at the start of my menswear journey, um, and so it seemed like a safe choice, right? Because that's what a lot of people talk about on the forums. Uh, after a while, I realized that this just was not for me. The second thing I'll say in relation to the duffel is that this bag in particular was so well built and stiff that it was unwieldy. I mean, it really was a pain constantly having to buckle and unbuckle things. And that's one of the strengths of the bag as it's listed with Saddleback is that there's no zippers to break. It's all buckles. But when the straps are cardboard thick and, uh, and, and just not pliable like cardboard would be, it becomes a hassle. And also the bag just didn't stretch to accommodate much. And this was a problem uh, because I found that uh, the capacity was already small to begin with. And uh, the fact that it wouldn't stretch to accommodate more meant that you were basically carrying around a cardboard box with you. Now, sure, I could have broken it in, but that would have taken years. And ultimately, even though I got compliments from pretty much everyone, anytime someone saw me carry uh, either of the two bags, but particularly the duffel, I just decided it was time to sell them on. Now fast forward a few years and I'm now happily using a small Filson duffel for my overnight trips. And I know you might be thinking, okay, well, if you didn't like the Indiana Jones vibe of the Saddleback, like why are you buying a Filson? Well, I will say this, you know, it doesn't lean quite as heavily into that, uh, into that aesthetic. And you also have to remember that around this time, Heritage and Americana were definitely a thing and Filson fell into that category. So while Saddleback may have been out there a little bit too much for me, I thought Filson was uh, in that sweet spot of classic, but also could work in a modern setting as well. Plus, from a functional point of view, the soft fabric construction of the Filson meant that I could overload it then, uh, and as well as stuff it into an overhead bin. And of course, the super strong zippers, even though you could say, okay, more of a point of failure than the, uh, than the buckles, they've very successfully for the past couple of years kept everything closed and easily accessible. So I was very happy with this bag and I will link to this in the show notes as well because I think that from a price, uh, sort of a cost benefit and, and value perspective, I think it's very hard to beat uh, the Phyllis and Small Duffel. But still, you know, I felt that a leather overnight bag was something that I should own as someone interested in menswear and just a professional who wanted to show uh, that I'd worked hard and I'd been able to earn some nice things for myself. You know, in that respect, I think that an overnight bag is uh, like a nice watch, uh, a nice briefcase or a nice pair of shoes. It's, it's something that telegraphs to the world that you have tastes and you have some extra money in your pocket um, to where you can go out and buy these products. Whereas, of course, you could just buy something completely functional, but a lot less nice and expensive uh, somewhere else. And this bugged me literally for years. It was one of those things where I felt like I wanted to get a new uh, and nice leather overnight bag. I could just never, I could just never bring myself to buy one. Uh, every time I came across a bag that I thought looked nice, I'd make a note of it and uh, I would just carry on with my life. But I was always held back uh, from buying it for a couple of reasons. So the first one is that no matter how you put it, uh, a good leather bag is expensive. You know, you have to plan on spending at least $500. And for the most part, if we're being honest, you know, most worth owning new uh, are about a grand. You know, I had the cash. Sure, I was very lucky in that respect. 
But there was either something else I wanted more at the time. I mean, like a watch or a pen or whatever. Or I just felt silly spending my money on something like that because by this time I'd stopped traveling a lot. So you had this, some people could say irrational uh, reason in my head that, well, as a professional, I should own this. But then practically speaking, you know, why? If you're not traveling, what do you need a nice overnight, overnight bag for? Also, the second reason I was uh, weary of, of kind of actually moving forward on a bag purchase is that even though there are a lot of really nice bags from well-known luxury brands, so Gucci, for example, I think Bali is another one, of course, Louis Vuitton, uh, my impression is that they are more to be looked at and babied rather than actually used. So every time I saw something that looked nice, I was immediately skeptical of its performance, right? I mean, whereas Saddleback goes the other way and says, we're gonna be built more for function um, than form, yeah, the look, I would say, does suffer a little bit. And then you have something like a Bally bag or a Louis Vuitton bag. It looks almost sculptural, but then you don't want to use it. And I get the impression that if I overloaded it just a little bit, um, it would basically fall apart, like a strap would break or something like that. And we're not even going to talk about having to stuff it into an overnight bin. I just don't think that would be an option. So essentially, I was torn uh, because you had, on one end of the spectrum, very nice looking, but seemingly incapable on the other end of the spectrum, highly capable, uh, but maybe not as attractive looking. And that was really the third point was that um, I couldn't go back to Saddleback or anything similar because, you know, uh, it just didn't look that great even if it performed excellently. So I just never found my, my Goldilocks bag, uh, or if you wanna, wanna tie it back to the, the part we just covered, I never found my Meisterstück of duffel bags that would cover all of the bases. So over the course of my literally years of research uh, and taking into account all the considerations I just listed, three bags ended up coming up to the top of my short list. The first one is the relatively recent Gustin overnight bag. Then second was the Corch Twain. And then finally was the uh, signature duffel by Frank Clegg, uh, which was ultimately then replaced on my list by the Hampton uh, due to the very critical use of brass feet on the bottom of the bag. So it just means you're able to put it down on like concrete or pavement or something and not worry about uh, trashing your leather too much. So talking about the first two, these are actually relatively well-priced. So they're in the five to $600 range and they definitely seem to present great value for money and they're made in the USA. And that's something that I keep meaning to talk about on the show is does provenance matter? Uh, does place of manufacture matter? And it depends. This is a, a big topic, topic I'll get into later, but I'll just end, here, end it here in terms of this discussion and say that if I'm spending this much money on a leather overnight bag, I think I want it to come from someplace like the USA, uh, Italy, you know, Germany, places like that. And those first two bags, so the Gustin and the Korchmar, presented that for about five to $600. The Frank Clegg is also made in the USA, uh, was much more expensive. So we're talking over $1,000 here. Uh, and in my mind, actually, this does, out of the three of them, uh, strike that balance between rugged and really classically good looking. And I say that from experience because I own a commuter briefcase from the brand, which is fantastic. Now, would I feel good about shoving this in an, over, in an overhead bin? Ah, uh, don't know about that. But it can take certainly some abuse and it can take holding a fair amount of... Uh, of things in it before it starts to look degraded. So with these three bags in mind, I spent a few weeks on eBay 
before committing to anything just to see if I could get a deal or even better, because this can always happen, right? Uh, find something I hadn't thought of for significantly less money. And definitely what I came to the conclusion, uh, I came to the conclusion here that you can absolutely find things if you look, uh, but long story short, uh, I just never came up with anything that uh, would take the place of those three bags on my list. I just always felt like, yeah, there's some cheaper bags, but they also looked cheaper and everything else was, you know, all the vintage bags that looked nice were so expensive that it just made more sense to go ahead and swing for one of the newer bags. And so all of this, all of that lead up, the original uh, Saddleback leather duffel bag, the Filson bag, all the research I did, the short list of bags I came up with, all of that ended up culminating uh, at Christmas 2019. And here's why I say that. You know, for me, Christmas is an occasion to ask for just this type of thing, right? That, that one thing that is just so expensive that you can't bring yourself to buy it, or that maybe you can't bring yourself to buy because you wouldn't use it that much, you just want it. Um, and so I figured that uh, I would just go ahead and swing for the fences and just put it on a Christmas list and, uh, and just see what happened. Now, of course, uh, that leads to the question of, okay, of the three bags, which did you put on your list? And I will say up front that I didn't put the Gustin on there because of the way the Gustin model works. If, if you're not familiar with Gustin, it's essentially Kickstarter for everything that they sell. So they raise funds. If they meet their funding target, uh, you then have to wait a couple months. You get the bag afterwards. And I just felt uh, like this would be somewhat of a hassle for my wife and me. So I said, okay, I'm going to try my luck with the two remaining bags and put the Korchmar and the Frank Clegg uh, on my list. And to my surprise, I, I got the I got the Korchmar, which was amazing. Now, I don't want to add to the length of this section with a full review. Uh, I think that would be um, kind of a waste of time because as I said at the top of the show, you can find that information elsewhere. But I will provide you with some first impressions uh, with the disclaimer that I've not had the chance yet to test this out on a trip. So first I'll say that the bag is extremely handsome. Uh, definitely strikes that balance between um, rugged and, uh, and, uh, and highly functional. And kind of on that note, I will say that that's enabled, so that balance is enabled by leather being quite stiff to start with, and this is unlike the tumbled leather that uh, Frank Clegg uses. So in that way, it's, it's closer to the saddleback than the Frank Clegg is, but I think it's also shaped in such a way that you don't quite get that uh, super obvious Indiana Jones vibe from it. And here, this is key because we're getting into functionality. There is lots of space uh, in this bag, and the lining inside is nice, both in looks and functionality, uh, because it's used to construct, to construct uh, pockets. Having said that, uh, if there is a downside, that's it right there. It's the lining. I was always very wary when I was doing my research, uh, and this is why I actually like the Filson bags so much, because there is no lining. Uh, lining is very attractive. Uh, but at least in my mind, it's relatively easy to detach from the inside of the bag after a lot of use or at least snag uh, and tear, right? So I just think if there's going to be a point of failure in a nice leather bag, it's lining. Now, I sort of have convinced myself, uh, even before asking for the bag for Christmas, that I could get over this because I figured Korchmar has been, a, been around for a long time. I think they're, well, they are a reputable brand. And I was relatively confident that should anything happen to it, I could send it back to the factory and uh, even for a fee, right? I mean, if it, if it tears off in 10 years, 
I have no problems paying for it, but I think that was key, was just knowing that there would be some after-sales support of any kind to help me out if something did happen to that lining. So overall, uh, this is a really, really good looking bag. Uh, it definitely looks built to last a lifetime. And I think to close the loop on this, I'm just glad that I checked this item off my, you know, I'm using quotes here, my hashtag menswear list. And I encourage you uh, to go on your own quest for that perfect overnighter uh, if you haven't already. I mean, now that I own this thing, I can say that, yeah, if, if you're playing the menswear game and you want to sort of uh, acquire certain pieces along with a watch and a pen, uh, I think that an overnight bag is, is definitely something to shoot for. And that's it for another show. I want to thank you again for joining me and uh, certainly encourage you to get in touch with me either through the comment section of uh, wherever it is you're listening to the show uh, or you can drop me a line directly with the contact information that I've left in the show notes. Uh, in particular though, even though I invite all kinds of feedback, this week I really want to hear about your experiences with some of the objects that you've committed to. So do you have that one perfect fountain pen you turn to all the time? Uh, or do you have one overnight bag that you're really proud of? Or are you actually still searching for what you consider to be that one thing that you'll commit to. I, I wanna hear about the things that you're using or the things you're considering. I really would be interested to hear uh, what's going on in your minds. So with that, thank you so much again for joining me here on this episode. And I really look forward to having you joining me again on the next episode of the Closet Pocket Podcast. Take care.